0: There are multiple paths to constructing a piece of software from start to finish. An individual programmer can build an entire product from scratch in a couple of days. A giant corporation can commission a project and delegate responsibilities to hundreds of people. An open source community can use the wisdom of the crowds to efficiently build something as big as an operating system. Today's episode is about yet another path for building software, and my own experience traveling that path. I designed and contracted an app called Ad4Prize that is now available on the iOS App Store. Designing an app and contracting it out to an engineer to build is a worthwhile exercise for most people in the tech industry, whether you are an engineer or not. This post has two main arguments. 1. The process of designing and prototyping an app is useful and educational for anyone in the tech industry. Two. It is now cheap and effective to hire a contractor to build a working version of your prototype. As with the previous monologue episodes such as 10 Philosophies for Engineers and You Are Not a Commodity, there are no advertisements on this episode. Please email me any feedback you have. Jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com is my email address. I would love to hear your feedback. This this definitely breaks the format uh, this episode. So let me know what you think. Why This Matters to You Everyone has an app idea, and many of them are pretty good. You've probably had a conversation with a friend where one of you says, Hey, wouldn't it be great if there was a two-sided marketplace for bacon? Or, hey, wouldn't it be great if there was an app where users could take a selfie and instantly see what celebrity they resemble the most? These things would be cool, but most ideas end with the ideation. Who has the time to actually implement these things? Most of us are busy at work, where we spend our time and our mental energy dealing with the technical complexity of our jobs. If you are a, quote, smart creative, when you get home from your job, you probably don't want to spend your leisure hours reading iOS documentation and slowly learning to write the necessary code for your Bacon Marketplace app. Smart creatives who have a busy full-time job often have a hobby with more immediate gratification, like playing an instrument or blogging. Some of us also write apps on the side, but if you don't already have all the requisite skills for writing an app, the prospect of reading tutorials and reading documentation can take the feeling of ever publishing an app and make it seem so distant as to be almost impossible to reach. There are many people listening to this who are better at sales, and marketing, and design, and product management than they are at programming. And yet, they want to build an app. One common narrative is that these people are told that in order to see something built, they need to learn to program. And that's simply not true. There is a more fun, fulfilling way to build an app than learning to code in Swift or React Native or Ruby on Rails. You can contract out the programming to someone else. Designing an app is a fun exercise. Building a prototype with tools like Sketch and InVision and Keynote is free and frictionless. Most people listening to this probably have spent some time drawing in KidPix or Microsoft Paint or Photoshop, even if it was far in the distant past when they were a kid or a teenager. Most of us know how to draw at some basic level because we spend all day seeing and understanding images. Drawing is second nature to anyone who can understand shapes. Similarly, we all know how to design apps because we spend all day using them. We understand the purpose of a button, or a slider, or a swipe, or a minor design feature. But most of us have no idea how to configure the code around this user experience. We don't know how the buttons fit with the sliders, fit with the text views, but we know that these concepts are essential to actually building a functional app. I'm not advocating taking a shortcut. I'm advocating an alternate path that can be just as successful. Along with the enjoyable design process, the business ideation process is also fun. It's fun to imagine business models, and viral loops, and ways to drive user engagement. But without the capability to build the app that embodies your business idea, it becomes less fun to think about these ideas. And again, most of us don't relish the idea of struggling through the compiler errors and the stack overflow posts that an app implementation requires for a programmer who wants to build it. We have all become product designers. We are using our phones all day, and most of us have naturally developed a good intuition for how an app should function. Product design ability is naturally acquired by being steeped in technology all day. If you are an employee in marketing, sales, or design, and certainly in engineering at a tech company, you will naturally learn how to think about product. Importantly you probably even have a few good product ideas yourself. This article is about why and how to prototype your own ideas and communicate your intent as a product designer, which is an incredibly fun and important process. If you can afford it, you can then hand off your prototype to a contractor for engineering implementation. If you work at a tech company, you might have accumulated some excess cash. You can invest that $5,000 that you have sitting around by contracting a product in your spare time. This can be a much better investment than something like stocks or ETFs, and it's a much more satisfying and durable investment than an expensive vacation. The experience of contracting a product teaches you skills that you might not have stressed in your normal 9-5 to job experience. Skills like management, product design, user experience, budgeting, communications, and engineering limitations. Even if you go immediately back to sales or marketing or engineering or whatever job title you have immediately after you build, release, contract your app, you will have gained those skills. Why now? The first version of Uber was written by a contractor. The Uber founders clearly communicated the specification for their product to the contractor, and they got what they paid for. Contracting Uber was easy for the founders. They had millions of dollars from their earlier startups, and they had a network of contractors to choose from, and they had experience hiring people. There is now a set of technologies that are enabling this for the average person, who doesn't have a ton of money and doesn't have hiring experience. Reputation marketplaces like Upwork and Fiverr and other talent marketplaces have a rating system that holds workers accountable in the same way that Airbnb or Uber does. Contractors who have maintained a high reputation through hundreds of hours will do your job well. These marketplaces also provide massive accountability and price transparency. A contractor who screws over naïve customers cannot sustain a high rating. Some people have had bad experiences with Upwork and Fiverr, but that happens with all marketplaces. Better communication tools like InVision, Slack, Trello, and Campfire make it easy to communicate with your contractor on a regular basis. Minimal effort scalability infrastructure like Heroku, Amazon S3, and other auto-scaling products remove the complexities of building a product. This makes it much more straightforward to architect and deploy a typical application for a single contractor. App mechanics are becoming refined. Our expectations and intuitions for how certain types of apps should work are becoming refined because we have had enough time to work with these interfaces for a while that we kind of expect how a button should work, how a swipe should work, and this makes it easier to get things right on the first try with your design decisions. There was a recent New York Times PopCast podcast episode that I listened to that was talking about the app Musical.ly, and there was a quote that I thought captured this well. It said, Musical.ly is a social app. It feels a little bit like Vine. It has a lot of the similar mechanics to Vine. You like things, you follow people, it has a timeline, but it's not Vine. It's Musical.ly, it's a new product. And this point deserves a lot of emphasis because these cool new apps that are often interesting remixes of well-defined mechanics, these are mechanics like news feeds, likes, photo sharing, map-based ride sharing overlays, swiping interfaces, social media integration. These things are a palette of interesting ingredients that have lots of new product mileage left. There's lots of stuff that is unexplored in these new interfaces. And these types of features are so widely used that their implementation is well understood and documented. So, You're not going to have to hire a really expensive contractor who specializes in swiping techniques or newsfeed architecture. You're going to be paying a reasonable market rate because the infrastructure is cheap, the design patterns are easy and well understood, and uh, these things have been around for a while. But there's still a lot of mileage left. Wantrepreneurs. Programming ability is not a prerequisite for being a good product designer and operator. And yet, the negative term, quote, wantrepreneur, is used to describe someone who has ideas but has not built or shipped anything substantive. If you listen to Silicon Valley type of podcasts, you will occasionally hear a venture capitalist or an angel investor use this word wantrepreneur. It is offensive and shame-inducing and should be removed from our lexicon. But the word wantrepreneur does accurately describe many people in the tech industry, albeit in a condescending and discouraging manner. Oftentimes, this type of person known as the wantrepreneur wants to know what to do if they cannot find a technical co-founder, someone to build and iterate on a product with. Contemporary product development literature mostly advises against contracting, but contracting can be a good strategy if you have a product idea that you really want to get out the door and into the hands of users. There are at least four conventional reasons why hiring a contractor is a bad idea, and I would like to take each of those reasons and provide counter-arguments for why I believe Contractors are a great alternative to building the app yourself or finding a, quote, technical co-founder. Reason number one, a contractor has no vested interest and might do sloppy work. This is a compelling reason, but the vested interest is the rating system, which allows you to vet a worker based on their previous work. On Upwork, there's a bunch of Contractors who have a hundred or more hours of work prior to when you're going to be hiring them and if they have five stars It's probably a pretty safe bet Reason number two if you decide to iterate on your product and have a V2 The contractor can raise the price for subsequent iterations and the reason this is not totally important is because A contractor on a reputation platform that has developed a really good reputation is unlikely to do this because if they did do it, it would hurt their reputation. And if they did do it, you can also just find somebody else because the switching cost is often not that high. Reason number three, if the contractor does sloppy work, you won't know if it's sloppy because you are not technical. The reason this isn't necessarily a reason not to go with contractors is because You can always ask a friend who is a developer to look over the finished code base. If your friend says it's sloppy, then you can find a new contractor for future iterations. Reason number four, even if your minimum viable product works, it's going to fall over if you hit any amount of scale. It's obviously going to have some breakage in it. And the reason that this is not really correct is because if you just deploy to Heroku or Amazon Web Services, you're going to be ready for scale. And also, like, if you build something that does hit any amount of scale, I mean, that's a great problem to have. I want to reiterate again. In today's tech scene, there are tons of people without the ability to code who nonetheless have excellent product design abilities and great ideas. I know this because I talk to people all the time and they tell me, hey, here's my idea for an app. What do you think? And oftentimes it's a great idea. And then they go and, don't do anything with it whether you are in sales or marketing or customer service if you want to build a product someday or even if you just want to move from your current role to a role in product management or design you should consider designing and prototyping an app and paying a contractor to build it it is such a useful experience if you have specific ideas for what you want to build and you have some extra cash lying around you can contract an experimental app and eventually I'm going to talk in this episode about my process of of designing and uh, experimenting with this contracting process uh, and that's, you know, ultimately going to be the climax of, of this story because I had such a good experience with it. But before we get there, let's talk about why engineers should do this. There are plenty of programmers Whose job roles do not require them to think about product design? There are plenty of engineers who are just spending their days writing code uh, delegated to some back end system. I spent three years engineering back end Java systems, and there was rarely an interesting decision to be made about the end user's experience with the product itself. It was all about implementation. And implementation is very interesting. I mean, people spend their entire careers like this, never grappling with problems higher up the stack like product design or product um, you know, user interactions. And if you don't want to deal with those things, then that's totally fine. Uh, you will make a lot of money as a back-end developer, but even if you are making a bunch of money as a back-end developer, why not spend 3k, 5k on delegating an app to a contractor. If you have an app idea and you're just a back-end engineer who doesn't really understand front-end stuff, just, you know, spend some money on building an app. You might find that you love product design and development even more than back-end engineering. This is certainly something that I discovered in this process is, you know, I really enjoyed the process of product design. I have been thinking about contracting an app ever since I heard the story of Uber's prototype, the fact that it was two engineers that started Uber, but neither of them were the ones who wrote the app. Another example of this type of situation is uh, Seth Godin came on my podcast and he talked about the engineering challenges of building Squidoo, which is the second company that he sold. And Seth is a computer scientist, but as it turns out, the first version of Squidoo was also written completely by a contractor. And this was back in like 1999, I think, or, or 1998, like in the 90s. And that's, you know, was a much different world. And my biggest takeaways from that brief discussion with Seth were that if you have your deliverables defined up front early on, you won't have to iterate much to get the product out the door. You just write down those ideas that you have in your head and you'll get the v1 and the v1 will be what you asked for the uber and squid examples are interesting because both travis kalanick who is one of the co-founders of uber uh as well as garrett camp who was the other founder of uber those guys are engineers seth godin was an engineer they all studied computer science as far as i know but they still opted not to write their apps They decided that the work would be done faster and more effectively if they just delegated. As an engineer, I have been building these janky minimum viable product prototypes for the last five years because I assumed that that was the way that it had to be done. Each time I built one of these prototypes, I designed and built an app, and the end result was unimpressive because I wasn't focused entirely on the product design or the engineering, and because of that, I did a poor job on both of them. I did a poor job on product design, I did a poor job on engineering. This is one of the most common fallacies that keeps programmers in a position where they have to take orders and work on back-end systems that they don't really have a passion for. The programmer is conditioned to believe that delegating something means admitting that you are incapable of doing it. Programmers are taught that it is more valiant to spend hours reading documentation and doing something on your own than delegating the work to someone who won't have to read documentation and who will do it more fast and more cleanly. After hearing about these stories of contracted products that turned into successful companies, I decided to experiment with this contracting process myself. I decided that I would focus on the product design and hire a contractor to write the software. And this is all while I was working full-time on Software Engineering Daily. Anybody who listens to the show knows that that is a lot of work, and I spend a lot of time on that, but I was, nonetheless, able to set aside time to design and, and work with a contractor to create the prototype of this app, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Ideation and Prototyping When we think of product designers, we often think of a bolt of inspiration coming to an inscrutable genius like Jack Dorsey or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. The reality is that effective product design can be learned by anyone who is willing to put in the hours, study the craft, and iterate. From Airbnb to Facebook to the wide range of products on IndieHackers.com, Successful products come from people who are constantly experimenting and toying around with new ideas. A product designer lives and breathes research and development. The effective product designer is constantly studying the world and running experiments in her own life. She crafts her environment to be conducive to new ideas. She keeps her calendar peppered with blank space where she can reflect and let new ideas come to the surface of her consciousness. I keep whiteboards around my apartment to write down product ideas and other fleeting moments of inspiration. Back in college, I was on a diet of homemade Soylent, and I was having awful fever dreams due to the related indigestion. I had misread the recipe for Soylent that I found online, and I had accidentally put in three times the amount of fiber in my mixture as the recipe had called for. I woke up at 2am from these Soylent-induced fever dreams. And I've heard that people often think up their best ideas when they wake up at 2 a.m., because the boundary between your consciousness and your unconsciousness has retreated a little bit because you might have been in a dream state. Whether or not this is true, I was struck by an idea for a user-generated advertising platform where companies would offer contests where people could compete to make the best ads. It would make sense from everybody's point of view. The company would offer a gift certificate, The user would be incentivized to make advertising to win those gift certificates, and it would be a perfect marketplace. I sketched the idea on one of my whiteboards, and then went back to sleep for a few fitful, dehydrated hours. When I woke up, I copied the idea from my whiteboard to a spiral notebook, and then I forgot about it. Years later. I was working at an advertising technology company and I started to see some of the inefficiencies in the advertising industry. You don't have to look much further than the episodes about ad fraud that I've done on Software Engineering Daily to understand my opinion of the advertising industry. I realized at that company that my idea from back in college might actually have some merit. I started building a prototype called Banner Warhol. And I completed it in a few weeks. Along the way, I seeded it with some fake ads that I had made. And I had a lot of fun making these fake ads. I found that making ads is just enjoyable. I mean, advertising is this weird medium that people don't apply, people don't ascribe creativity to it. But the most effective advertising does have a great element of creativity. Now, you can see pictures of Banner Warhol in the uh, blog post version of this podcast, and there are some absurd banner ads that I made. Um, so this was basically a a version of this idea that I had thought of in college that uh, was a manifestation of that idea. You know, I knew in college that uh, I wanted to build this advertising platform, and I turned it into an advertising platform for banner ads. So... This was a decent idea, but it was fraught with all this mistaken execution. One, there was no concrete hypothesis. I built this Rails app that was a marketplace for banner ads, but th- there was no way to define success or failure. I built it, I threw it up on a website, and then I didn't know what to do next. Problem number two, there was no target user base. There was no obvious way to get distribution. so. You know, how would this ever gain traction? You know, every two-sided marketplace has this chicken and egg problem, and you need some way to crack that with an early target user base. And number three, who cares about banner ads? The price of banner advertising is going down and down and down and down, the whole landscape is fraught with fraud. Why would you want to go in the banner ad industry? So. The lesson here is that I made a bunch of mistakes with this platform, and it's no surprise that this project went absolutely nowhere. I didn't know what I was building or why. I had a vague sense that user-generated advertising would be cool, and I started hacking on the idea without thinking further. Now, part of the problem here is that I have almost no experience building front end apps. And it showed with this project, which was called Banner Warhol, by the way, if I didn't mention that already. And so, because I have no experience writing front end code, the code base quickly became a complete disaster. And I got sick of the project and I quit. It was the classic abandoned side project. If you're listening to this show, I'm sure you have abandoned a side project before. It is not our proudest moment in the life of a developer when you cast aside that project that you've been working on for days, weeks, or months. And, as I said above, when I was talking more generally about this idea of contracting, in this case, the engineering was a distraction from thinking about the product. I was afraid to think too deeply about the product that I really wanted to build because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to engineer it. If you are trying to play both product designer and engineer, there is inherent cognitive dissonance because you probably don't have the skills to engineer your grandest idea as a product designer. So this cognitive dissonance can prevent you from really thinking about the best ideas and thinking from a design point of view. I abandoned this idea. I abandoned Banner Warhol for a year and a half. I went to go work at Amazon and then I was focused on building this podcast. And that kind of brings us to today. Um, You know, the podcast has become a successful lifestyle business for me. It's not suiting my grandest ambitions, but it's it's something that's sustainable, and as I have built sustainable habits out of that, I've you know, kind of figured out that there is some free time in my schedule. And with that free time, I have reconsidered this idea of user-generated advertising that has stuck with me since I woke up on that fateful night in college with soylent indigestion. And more recently, I read this book by Kevin Kelly, who was talking about user-generated advertising. Kevin Kelly is this futurist, and he wrote this book called The Inevitable. And when he wrote the following quote, I knew that there was something that I had not explored yet with my user-generated advertising ideas quite yet. So this is a quote from The Inevitable, which is a book I really liked, I really recommend. With a peer-to-peer system... These advertisements would be created by passionate and greedy users and unleashed virally into the blog wilds where the best ads would evolve by testing and redesign until they were effective, End quote. If you replace the word blog with social networking, the idea for peer-to-peer advertising becomes quite compelling. Social networks are where advertising is most effective today. So the question becomes, how can you build a user-generated advertising platform into the social network ecosystem? Snapchat has tried this in certain ways. Snapchat has added features around user-generated advertising and there's also Instagram models. Uh, I do follow some Instagram models, I'm not gonna lie. And these Instagram models often make deals with advertisers where they take a picture of themselves with some shoes or a purse. And, you know, this is user generated advertising. They get paid like $5,000 for posting a picture on Instagram. And these ideas scratch the surface. Of user-generated advertising on snapchat you can make a picture of yourself uh, and you can make your face uh, Superimposed on a Taco Bell taco and that's user-generated advertising but these are These are features and the thing is that user-generated advertising is not just a feature It's not just an idea that you patent like so many people have tried to patent user-generated advertising is an entire medium of expression And I wanted to build a platform for making advertisements. I wanted to build a platform where people could creatively express themselves through these advertisements. And the advertising networks will function as a distribution agent for these people who are making ads. Like, people should be able to make advertisements for products and ideas and movements. They should be able to see each other's advertisements, they should be able to like and comment on their advertisements, and they should be able to connect with the brands who want to use those advertisements. This would lower the cost to the brands who currently work with overpriced ad agencies to make their ad campaigns. So this was my hypothesis. My hypothesis was to build this peer-to-peer advertising system. And with this hypothesis, I wanted to figure out what was the minimal way to run an experiment to figure out if people actually wanted to use this thing. Do people actually want to make ads? I was thinking about this question when I was scrolling through Instagram, and I saw a cache of people who are already making their own ads. Instagram fitness instructors and models. Yes, I follow Instagram fitness instructors and fitness models. Many of these people are trying to build a personal brand of some kind. And in doing so, they advertise for products like protein shakes, meal plans, and fitness programs. And these people may have like 2,000 or 5,000 followers, which is respectable, but it's not highly monetizable. It's not like a Taylor Swift level of following, so most big brands will not do business with this type of person. Nonetheless, these people are classified as influencer marketers. This mid-level amount of influence is going largely uncaptured. It's like blogging before Google AdSense. The way that you advertise is just not as good as it could be if there were a turnkey system. From Instagram, to Vine, to YouTube, to Facebook, there exists the challenge of connecting influencers to brands that they should be representing. But on Instagram, this problem seemed the most acute because Instagram is so big and so pervasive. It's so fast growing. So my idea for a workflow was somewhat similar to Instagram. The user would take a picture or a video. The user would attach a brand to the media turning it into an advertisement and then the user would post that advertisement to instagram or to vine or to snapchat or to whatever other medium they wanted to but firstly i was thinking about instagram i was thinking about solving the problem of the advertiser who would love to get a message out to a bunch of people who are using instagram and who could potentially use influencers on instagram as a medium to broadcasting that message. So it would have some familiar mechanics of a photo sharing app so that people would feel like they were using something they had used before. And I knew that I wanted to have this workflow that was somewhat similar to Instagram. So I took out a notebook and I started drawing some diagrammatic ideas. I had the idea fleshed out on paper and then I moved to sketch, which is a Mac tool for doing things that are kind of like Photoshop. And what I ended up doing was stitching together all these pictures from Google images to make a design that looked kind of like a, a app design. It was just a bunch of pictures of stills from an app. And I think people call this wireframing in the design industry. Um, And if you go and look at the blog post that accompanies this uh, audio um, podcast, then you can look at the wireframes that I made for this. And the wireframes were not that hard to make. I don't have any expertise in design. I was just literally taking pictures off of Google Images and uh, Frankensteining them together. Uh, But I made wireframes that described my idea. And I I really think anybody can do this. So after I created the screenshots for the workflows that I wanted, these wireframes, I put together an InVision to further describe the functionality of the app to whoever I wanted to show it to and talk to about it. InVision is this fantastic product for communicating UX and design. It's like a tool for connecting wireframes to each other. You can basically take one wireframe and then you can draw a little area around a certain part of that wireframe and say, hey, this area defines a button. When you click here, you basically hyperlink to some other wireframe, and you can use this to connect wireframes Different wireframes together to make something that operates like an app. So this is a really good tool for somebody who is not a programmer to convey the ideas of the workflow that they like, uh, that they would like in their app implemented. Um, so again, it's InVision. I recommend checking it out. I like it because it's easy to share your prototype. I have heard that at Apple, product designers use something called Keynote to create prototypes that feel like apps. So that's a viable choice as well. I've used Keynote a number of times. It's great for making PowerPoint-like presentations. And if you think about a wireframe uh, prototype uh, thing, then it's kind of like a PowerPoint. You've got little areas that you click. You go from uh, one static image to the next static image, kind of like a PowerPoint. So when I finished this prototype, I wanted to get it implemented. I wanted to get into the hands of users, because after I, when I was looking at this prototype, I was like, this is a great model for connecting brands and connecting influencers. But the thing is, I was working on software engineering daily, full-time. I already had a lot on my plate, so it was important that I use my spare time efficiently. There were a few weeks that went by where I tried to learn modern iphone programming i did a little bit of iphone contracting like five years ago and my pace of learning today was so slow and i was not motivated by learning the syntax and the design patterns that you have to learn in mobile development so thinking back to how uber and squidoo were made i decided to contract my advertising platform and at that point i was calling it adstagram which obviously sounds like Instagram, I later on changed the app to be called Ad for Prize because I think that's a uh, little less of a copycat type naming scheme. Even though Instagram has certainly borrowed its share of features from other platforms who shall not be named, um, I didn't want to copy the name. Contracting. I logged on to Upwork, and I searched for iOS developers with experience on photo-sharing apps. I quickly found somebody who was top-rated and worked for $66 an hour. I asked him for a demonstration of his work, and he showed me a photo-sharing app that he had built in the past, which he was able to reuse some of his code from. I sent him the prototype for my app, Ad for Prize, and I asked him for a quote, as well as a description for how he would build the app. His price was very reasonable, and the architecture that he proposed was totally simple, made sense to me. So we got started with a first simple set of milestones to hit. As a software engineer, it was easier for me to evaluate that this contractor's estimations of time and cost were reasonable. And if you aren't an engineer, You might not have this ability to evaluate the estimations that the contractor gives you, but you can always check with an engineer friend to see if what a contractor is offering you is fair. Upwork creates an escrow transaction for each set of milestones that you define. I defined milestones in terms of high-level functionality and capabilities that were a subcomponent of that functionality. For example, the following list of user story functionality requirements could make up a single milestone. So the high-level requirements are the following. Taking and editing a picture or video, or uploading it from the photo library. And then I had these sub-points that were essentially defining the finer-grained functionality of this requirement. Such as, I can take a photo or select one from my photo library. I can shoot a video from different segments, like Vine or Instagram. I can use a brand search feature with an autocomplete, or I can select a brand for my picture or video and I, it will add as a logo. I can move the logo to different locations in the picture in order to make an advertisement. So, this is me defining a milestone, uh, a, a milestone and a set of subcomponents that make up that milestone. And I think when you break down the functionality into a Uh, a line that's describing the high-level functionality, such as taking and editing a picture or video, and then you define that in more granular terms that are defined as user stories, such as I can take a photo or select one from my library. I can use brand search. Then you start to put yourself in the shoes of the user, and you start to think, am I covering all the use cases that the user would want with this app? And you can just do that for every feature of the app that you want. And it can be really useful for really breaking down what is the nitty-gritty user cases that you are going to have to have your contractor implement. Um, And if the contractor says something is taking a long period of time, you can very much delve into what is the specific aspect of this app that's taking you a lot of time. We broke it down into these milestones. Uh, we broke it down to these subcomponents of a milestone. Uh, you should be able to tell me which one is is taking you a long time and they will be able to. So I recommend uh, getting around ambiguity by being really specific about your milestones. Each milestone was a small amount of money. We broke up the amount of money that I was going to be paying him in terms of these milestones. So that gave me a feel for the pace at which the contractor worked. It helped me predict what the final budget might be, even early on, because I was able to extrapolate from the early milestones, okay, how much is this going to cost with every future milestone, how is this cost going to grow over time. And after each milestone, the contractor sent me a working version of the app thus far. So I got a feel for how the app was performing. It wasn't like we were going to do everything and then he's going to throw it over the wall and I'm just going to test it a bunch. I was... It was a very much a cycle of him building small components of the app, handing it off to me, and then I would essentially do user testing, and then we would agree on the next uh, streak of milestones. And this was a somewhat slow process, but uh, not because of either of us were working slow, just because of the back and forth. But it was it was a very enjoyable process. I was testing the app after each milestone. This put me in the shoes of the user. And during testing, I identified issues. So one time there was a complex issue that I identified that had to do with the search feature on the app, and I made a flowchart to describe how I thought it would work. And this flowchart was somewhat technical in nature. Uh, It was another thing that was an advantage of being an engineer because I was able to describe things in a higher degree of technicality. Uh, It had to do with databases and uh, stuff like that, but it wasn't that complicated. And the main... you know, this was a great point of communication between me and the contractor because uh, showing him that I was willing to draw a detailed technical flowchart uh, showed that I wasn't just expecting him to do all of the technical work. I was willing to help him out. And I think contracting really is, it can be a partnership. I mean, you you don't just throw something over the wall at a contractor and expect, expect them to get the job done well. It can be a very enjoyable partnership if you work closely with the contractor. So, four months after initially contracting the app, the functionality is complete, the price tag is under budget, it took about $3,100 to build, and I gave the contractor a $400 bonus for doing a great job and being really responsive, and now it's on the App Store. You can download Ad for Prize in the iOS App Store. I use the app on a regular basis, uh, not just for making ads, I use it for all kinds of interesting photo creation, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how other people uh, respond to it and use it, especially if you're a listener of Software Engineering Daily and you know I've been very focused on everything related to software engineering for the last year and a half. This product is really one output function of that focus. I mean, I haven't just been focusing in terms of Doing this podcast, I've been focusing in terms of how can I learn as a software engineer, as somebody who likes to see things built. Um, Adforprize is really the product of that. So again, if you're a fan of the show, I would love it if you checked it out and gave me your feedback on Adforprize. Uh, and also, if you like it, of course, rate the app on the App Store. I have not asked for ratings on the iTunes Store very often for this podcast. Mostly because I am not convinced that ratings matter that much for podcasts, but they definitely matter for apps and the app store. So I would love it if you checked out Adforprize. Epilogue. For many people, the most coveted job in tech right now is quote product, whatever that means: product design, product engineering, or some combination of them. We dream about drawing something on a whiteboard in a conference room during a meeting and then seeing the finished product come across our desk a week later. So we can evaluate it, we can critique it, we can send it back for another iteration. This gets us closer to that dream of being something like a Steve Jobs figure. How do those whiteboarding product phenoms get such an awesome job? It's because they practiced and they got good. Why else would anybody talented follow their lead? One way or another, these quote, product people have accrued experience and they are rewarded with responsibility. ad for Prize has gone from being a soilent induced nightmare idea to a reality that you can download from the App Store. Now begins the long, cyclical slog of getting people to try it out, and realizing that the numerous UX issues make it confusing and terrible, I'll probably have to pay a contractor for continued alterations, and that's all okay. My hope is that the app gets some traction and enough traction that it will make sense to hire somebody full time to work on it. On that note, if you're an iOS developer and you're interested in working with me on Adverprise, please send me an email jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. And if Ad for Prize falls completely flat, if nobody cares about it, that's okay too. I have had a ton of fun building it, and the education was worth twice the price. I'm happy to pay the cost of intuition, and I really hope that you listeners have enjoyed this episode and that you've gotten something out of it, and hopefully you've gotten some ideas for how you might build your next project and see your independent software developer dreams come closer to fruition thank you for listening